just wanted to mention a couple things before we jump into our study. Um, one is at 11.40 today, all of our mission people are working on the mission trip. We're going to meet in the library for a little lunch, light lunch and orientation. So remind you of that. And also, just want to remember, uh, ask you to add to your prayer list. Uh, <coughs> uh, Dan Casper is also up at Aspirus. Barb's here. Where's Barb? Right here. So she's here. Pray for Dan, her husband, who is... Uh, Dan Barber, a little newer here, so not all of you may know them, but just pray for him as well. It's Dan Casper. Let's pray. Father, today we, we pray as we talk about your word that you would just teach us and put on the hearts of each one of us what you want us to hear today. And so we commit this to you, and we trust you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about the admonition to wives in the book of Ephesians, the, the essence of Christianity, the essence of the Christian life, to live a life of love. Very simple. It's not complicated at all. It's sometimes very hard. But it is simple. We are to live lives of love in all our relationships. And so Paul is going through those and he starts with, he talks about relationships in the church. He's going to talk about relationships with parents and children and at work. And this morning, or the last couple of weeks, and now this morning, we're going to look at how to live in this relationship as husbands and wives. Last week, we heard the admonition, submit to your husbands. We looked at First Peter, story there of how, you know, if, it says if as in a, He's talking to slaves, they're treated harshly. And then he, uh, he says that, you know, Christ's example was he didn't retaliate. He didn't try and get even. And so the admonition to wives was, you know, even if you're in a home where a husband is not maybe treating you well, you should still respond in that way. And, and God might win him over. And you know that that happens. There's a power in that. I was reading this week of a, a drunkard very mean, curse his wife out, and for years she just loved this man. So one night he was at the bar with his two buddies, and they were all arguing about who had the best wife. And he got down, and he said, well, I, I have the best wife. In fact, you guys, come on, get in the car with me, we're going to go. So they went home, 1 a.m., walks in the house, walks in, hey, woman, get your blankly blank out of bed. So how would you respond, wives, if your husband walked in? She got up, didn't say a word, came down. Said, what would you? He said, we're hungry. We'd like you to feed us. She said, what would you like to eat? She went in the kitchen, got some food, fixed it. By the time she got out, the two guys were gone. He said, I won the argument. And <clears throat> he said, by the way, he said, how, how come when I treat you like, like I treat you and say the things I say to you, he said, why are you so kind to me? And he had never asked that question before, but he, he knew it. And, and you know what she said? She said, she said, you know what? This world is not my home. She said, heaven's my home. And one day I'm going to be there and I'm going to be so happy. But she said, you're not going to be there. And she said, 
You're not going to know what it's like to be happy there. She said, all you have is this short life here. So she said, I just figure if this is the only life you have, I'll try and make you happy while I'm here. And he looked at her, and this is a true story. He said, well, if you're going to heaven, he said, I want to go there too. And that was his moment. And a year later, two, a year and a half later, he's, he's serving as a, a deacon in, uh, <coughs> in the church in this community. So there, there's great power in, in this uh, admonition we see here. Well, it's the guy's turn this morning. And uh, if you think wives submitting to their husbands is challenging, wait till you hear this. Okay? This is, a, uh, this is Paul's words to husbands in, in the situation. And we're going to walk through the text. You say, what does Paul know about being married? You know, a lot of people think Paul was married. Uh, we know he wasn't at the time, but previously. In fact, if you had to guess if he was married, you'd probably guess he was. Uh, in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, in their re regulations, it said you had to be married. And we know that Paul was joined the Sanhedrin, so it's very possible earlier in Paul's life, at some point, that he was married. We don't know what happened, but that's very much a, a possibility. Here's the text. Read through it, and I'd like to make some comments on it and then apply some application. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined, united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery that I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, this is not easy to do because in the fall... We, if we go way back to Genesis when the curse was announced to Eve, this is what he said. He said, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, there's a little bit of difference in commentary, especially on the word, what does desire mean? We're not all, all that sure that that's really a good word, because in the next chapter, it says sin desires to control you. And so... We see the same word is used in a negative way, that that desire was a desire to control, which it could be here. And but we, there's no question that it says when he will rule over you, that that word rule is not a good word. That's kind of like the picture of when you put your thumb on somebody and, and hold them down. It's a picture of do, the domination. And so this is part of the curse, the struggle. And so in the gospel, the gospel's intent is to free us from that curse. Uh, by the way, a wife living in submission to her husband is not part of the curse. It's part of the design. But the abuse of, of that in those situations is part of the curse. And so we see here that there's a tendency for a husband to 
dominate, but that is not God's design. God's design is not control, it's not domination, it's love. The word here is agape, agape love. There's only one spot I know of in the Bible where wives are told to love their husbands. That's in Titus. And it's not agape love there. It's a phileo love. It's a friendship love. He's saying, wives, be friendly to your husband. Be affectionate, friendly to your husband. But the husband is charged with the divine love, a divine kind of love. This, the agape love is the kind of love that is assigned to God. And it is a, a very, very strong love. Uh, the Bible doesn't say men are to be in love. It says they are to love. You don't have to be in love to love somebody. And so just a few words that describe this as you think about what kind of love is this here that husbands are called. It says husbands love your wives. This isn't a love that initiates this is a love that initiates. So guys, when love needs to be initiated, it's the man who is called to initiate. I hate that verse. I, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you ever had a time when some conflict comes up and you're kind of not talking to each other for a couple of days. You ever have that? Things get, get kind of quiet and I've I really don't do well, neither Vicki or I, we're both kind of peace-loving people, so we don't do well in disharmony. Nobody does, but some people do worse than others, so it's just kind of a constant cloud over your head. And I remember coming in and sitting down in one of these chairs and just saying, so God, how can we resolve this? And the answer is always the same. I don't even do it anymore because he always gives me the same answer. He says, you go first. You get to go first. Well, I want her to say she's sorry. No, you go first. That's your job. You're the initiate. You are charged with the love like Christ has. What does it say? While we were yet sinners, Christ, what, died for us. So Christ initiates his love for you while you weren't even interested in him. So don't wait for your wife to show interest. It is up to the man to initiate. That's the way agape love is. It's a one-way love, meaning it has no regard for how the others respond. You just love the other person, whether positively responding back to you or not. doesn't matter. It is a self-sacrificing love. Self-sacrificing. That's the kind of love it is. And so, of course, when you are called to be the one that initiates an apology, that... Yourself hates that. There's something in you. Do you ever notice that? There's something in you that doesn't want to apologize? Do you ever notice that? That's yourself. That's your sinful nature. It's, we all have that. The Bible says you crucify the self. So when you say you're sorry, you're crucifying yourself. That's not very comfortable. It's, it's very painful. But that's just the way it is. And so it's a sacrificing love. It's a consistent love. As, as we know in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It is a consistent, ongoing love. Now, so husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Then in the text, the next couple verses here, he, he talks about how Christ loves the church and how he has cleansed the church by the washing of the water through the word. Another word there is sanctified. 
that he sanctified. He, he gave himself up to sanctify uh, the church. Now, there's two, two ways you can look at sanctify. One is the process of sanctification, which is a process of changing and growing and becoming more like Christ and becoming a, a better person, a more loving person, a more perfect person. That's a process, a sanctifying process. There's also a, sanctif a word there, a verb, which is past completed, which is a positional usage of that word. Now, why is that important? It's important because of this. The example here for husbands is how Christ treated the church. And what he, he's not saying, what he is not saying is this. He's not saying, husbands, you need to help your wives get better. You need to help your wives get more perfect. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you need to put your wife in a position as if she was perfect. There's a, there's a big difference between those two. Christ sanctified the church through his word by, we looked at the first three chapters, by putting us in a, an amazing place of, of value alongside of himself, even though we're not there yet. He treats us like we're perfect, even though we're not. And so that is the example here of Christ in this situation. His goal is to present us, uh, some translations say, in great splendor. This says, as a radiant church. Radiant, that their wife would be radiant. Someone has said a, a man's responsible for his wife's face. Now, that's not completely true because ultimately you for your own happiness. But a man has a lot to do, a husband has a lot to do with the countenance of his wife. Now, I just love this word here that Christ wants to present his church radiant. Radiant. That should also be the goal of a husband. So we see here that this is, you know, Paul now moves into his primary point to his husbands. And this almost seems a little self-centered, but maybe because we as men can be very self-centered at times, he has to use this analogy. But an analogy is this. Look, guys, um, you're going to treat yourself right. Treat your wife like you treat yourself. And there's a rationale for doing that. And so we see here, if we work backwards in the text, number one, he says, in marriage, you have become one flesh with your wife. When you get married to someone, you become one flesh. You become united with them in a similar manner that Christ is united with the church. And now the church becomes his body, and there's a union there. By the way, because you, what, you know, because you as a church, because we as the church are Christ's body, he is building us up, he's affirming us, he's wanting to present us perfect and holy and radiant. In the same way, husbands are to respond to their wives. Since you become one flesh, then he says, since you, and since you value and work to take care of yourself, right, it kind of comes natural to take care of yourself, to do what's best for yourself. He said, when you, and then here's a conclusion, so when you're seeking the good of your wife who is one flesh with you, you are really seeking the good of yourself. So the bottom line, any husband that tears down his wife is a fool. 
Any husband that does not seek to build up his wife has failed to understand that he has entered into a relationship where she is very much a part of his life. And then once again here, he reminds us of this metaphor, and we could preach a whole message on that, but the, the marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ to the church. So, so how do we do that, guys? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to keep it simple. One thing, just ask you to think about one way to fulfill this admonition this morning. And, you know, we went with the gals to 1 Peter. So I'm going to go there for the guys. And just half of one little verse here. Husbands, in the same way, and there's several words here. Uh, the NIV says, in the same way, it says, live with your wives in an understanding way in an understanding way. Some translations say in a considerate way. One of my favorites, and I, I think because it, it, it's a little more hard to understand, but it really gets at it. Live with your wives according to knowledge. According to knowledge. Well, according to what kind of knowledge? What, what he's really saying here is, guys, you need to understand your wife. Now, that may sound like an impossibility, but that is the goal, is to have knowledge about this person. Um, look at this, Deuteronomy 24, 5. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him for one year. He's to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to his wife. The guy is supposed to spend the first year figuring out what makes his wife happy. Right? Is that what it's saying? Uh, just hanging around the house isn't going to necessarily make your wives happy, guys. Just so you know that. There's, to bring happiness, he's to stay at home. You have to learn how to do that. You have to learn how to love your wife. And it can be very frustrating for guys and gals. You may find this hard to believe. But there are a lot of men out there that really do want to do this, they really do want to love their wives, they do not know how to do that. They do not know how. And so, men have to learn how to love. If you are married, my, what I'm telling you this morning is, you need to learn, and you need to work at, you need to have a desire to get to know this person that you're married to. And I have discovered a, uh, <coughs> I've discovered that women are very different from men. Um, <laughs> they are. I learned that, I think I told this, I learned the first week I was, or few months I was married anyway, I, Vicki called from a gas station, had a problem with the car, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to really care about, I'm going to tell her how to fix it. And I was, I mean, I was honestly, I was honestly doing the best. I thought this is the best way I could love my wife. I can have her out of that station in three minutes. All she has to do is just pop the hood and look at this one thing, and she doesn't have to wait for me, and it's hot, and she'll be home. And uh, I, we had this conversation, and I, it was kind of confusing to me. I said, well, okay, okay, I'll be, she said, why don't you just come? So I came there. 
And when I came, she walked right by me like I wasn't even there and, and, and got in the other car I came in. And she said, my dad would have come and got me right away, she said. <laughs> so I learned that gals don't always, they don't always, sometimes they want you to fix it for them. And so, you know, it's different. We had, nine, we had nine kids at our house last weekend, four of my grandchildren, five of my nephew's kids. It's 6, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm getting up so I can have some quiet time. And here's, here's Murphy's Law. If you have grandkids or kids <coughs> like that and, and you get up for a quiet time, within three minutes, somebody will be up. And so I just got up and down the stairs came two of the boys. They were loaded with lightsabers and, and guns and stuff and they were heading out to the woods to play war. About a minute later, the one girl of all the, there were nine kids, one was a girl about six, five or six, and she walked in and she said, I'm not going to be able to go outside today and play. And I said, oh, why is that? She said, I have to do my nails. I thought, these, two, these, these people are from different planets, these two people. And then she stood and talked to me for 10 minutes, and then she said, and I really don't like to talk. And I said, you're a girl, you like to talk. You just talked to me for 10 minutes straight here and initiated the conversation. And so we have all these, you know, we have differences. And then not only are there general, but there are specific ways in which a wife is unique. And there are certain ways that she's unique in certain seasons of life. And so to learn to understand yeah, I'm going to show you a little clip here, and the description of, of this gal is not untypical of a lot of wives today, and, and maybe not untypical of some of you here. Th just listen to her describe and be honest. I am plagued by insecurity. can't help but notice how they seem to have it all together. Even Bible study feels like a study of what I should be wearing or what I should cook for dinner. My relationships are a mess. I don't have enough time to call my friends, much less go and visit them. I snap at my kids half the time and I'm worried about them the rest of the time. I see my husband every day, but somehow I still miss him. We're in debt up to our ears and I'm not sure what to do about it. Do I stay home with the kids, or do I go get a job? Either way, I feel guilty. Most mornings, I look in the mirror and wonder what happened. My weight is up and down and up again, and my clothes never fit right. I work out, I try and eat right, but it's just never enough. Those perfect girls in the commercials drive me crazy. I know that it's all produced, but it still eats at me. I mean, is that what they really think I should look like? I try to push through all of these feelings. I put a smile on my face for my family. But I look forward to when my kids go to bed. See? Guilty again. Endless emotions swirl in my head like annoying little gnats. I'm tired. I need a break, and there isn't one. Ever. I'm so bored with the same routine. But it's also the only thing that keeps me sane. I just feel weak, and I'm so tired of feeling weak. 
I read about the Proverbs woman, and it should help, but it doesn't. My past is its own burden, and the Bible says I should smile about the future. I'm terrified of it. My dreams feel so far away. Sometimes, well, most times, I can't see truth through all of the mess. And no matter what I try to do about it, it's never enough. Okay, guys, if that's your wife, it wasn't mean to be the leader. What it means is, it means that your job as a leader is to get to know and to begin praying and asking God to show you how you can help your wife deal with the guilt in her life, with the pressure in her life, with the self-criticism in her life, with the sense of failure in her life, with the anxiousness. That's what biblical leadership is about. Biblical leadership is not being in a place where you get to order somebody around. Biblical leadership is being in a place where you learn how to minister to someone that God has given to you and that you are willing to initiate that process. Let me summarize. For the guys here, for husbands, this is a really important passage. If you're not doing this with your wife, if you're not trying to understand it, if you don't have times where you sit down and think, so how's my wife doing and what can I do to help her, then you're not loving your wife in any way, shape, or form like Christ loved church. And you know what? If you're failing and you're feeling guilty about this, <coughs> Sometimes what you will end up doing is taking it out on your spouse. You don't think you are, but, but you are. And we can do that. And we get angry, and the reason we get angry is because our spouse is exposing our weakness and our failure to love in this way. So this morning, let me give you just <clears throat> three words of advice and, uh, and then I have just something I want to share with husbands and wives today in terms of marriage. Number one, three simple things of advice. Guys, quit checking out. Quit checking out. Um, it may be hard. You may figure you're married to somebody that's hard to be married to. You're figuring, you may be thinking it seems impossible to love this person. You don't get to quit. You don't get to check out. You don't need to just get. You don't need. You don't get to just get into your hobbies, and check out of this responsibility. This is what it means to be a man. You need to get back in the game, and you need to be the man that God called you to be. You need to be the initiator. I mean, what if Christ did that with you? And so, that's the example here. Maybe you just need to go to your wife and say, you know what, I know, I know things aren't right. I probably don't know the half of it. I don't know how to fix it. But I want to fix it. So I need to start praying, and I need you to pray that I'll know what God is calling me to do. And then pray. And you know what? I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you that God will show you what he wants you to do. 
He'll show you the first step that he wants you to take. And then the question is, are we willing to take that step that God shows to us? Guys work through things. Guys see a goal, and guys get to that goal, and they go through the obstacles that are there in their face. They do it just not on the football field. You need to do it in your marriage. Here's the second thing. You need to pursue a mindset of faith and action, and that is that God can use your life in, in the life of another person, this one that you're married to. You need to have the faith that as you act, that God will use you to minister to this person and to be a blessing in their life. If you're sitting there with these thoughts like, you know what, I just, I just fail, I can't do this, I'm worthless, I'm, I, I can never please this person. I mean, if, if that's what your thinking is, you're, you're never going to go anyplace with that kind of thinking. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God has promised. He said, you can do all things through me. I will give you strength. Certainly to be a husband and certainly to love as Christ loved the church, God can begin to show you how to do that. So step into that with a, a sense of optimistic belief that God can use you, and then you've got to act when God shows you what to do. God has always been faithful in my life if I'm willing to step out in faith and act. And then the last thing. Don't set aside the grace of God. And this is to both husbands and wives, because you know what? You are both failing regularly at living out Ephesians chapter 5. Quit beating yourself up to the point where you're powerless to do anything. Quit thinking everybody else's marriage is great and yours isn't. Realize that marriage is about two broken people coming together and beginning to put together the pieces of their lives and, and somehow in their brokenness allowing God by his grace to, to build something that will be something of a reflection of his love for his church. I want you to look at this final video it's called Broken Together. Broken Together. And, and it, it really does, I think, exemplify what marriage for most of us really is like and what God is wanting. We'll look at this and then I'll pray. scars and all our secrets were in the light. Now 
On this hallowed ground we've drawn the battle line Will we make it through the night? It's gonna take much more Than promises this time Only God can change our minds Maybe you and I never meant to be complete could we just be broken together if you can bring your shattered dreams and i'll bring mine can healing still be spoken and save us the only so lonely by my side we're building kingdoms and chasing dreams and left love behind I'm praying God will help our broken hearts align and we won't give up the fight it's gonna take much more than promises this time only God can change our minds Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete Could we just be broken together? If you can bring your shattered dreams And I'll bring mine Can healing still be spoken and saved? Just be broken together. If you can bring your shattered dreams, and I'll bring mine, can healing still be spoken and saved? The only way will last forever is broken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching. Father, we see the work of redemption involves brokenness. It involves love in the middle of brokenness. It involves a persevering love, a forbearing love, a patient love. 
And Father, as we seek to live out our marriages, we are all well aware of the brokenness that's involved as two broken people come together and seek to love as you love the church. Father, for husbands here, the role you have called us to, there's no way we can follow you. You have loved us perfectly. But we are to seek to emulate <coughs> that kind of love. So, Father, I pray for men here today, husbands here today, that we would understand the initiating unconditional divine love that you have called us to. We pray for wives <coughs> that they would be patient, persevering, open to trusting, prayerful. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would truly do this wonderful, marvelous work uh, of marriage in spite of all of our imperfections and all of our failures. Uh, Lord, might you just preserve the marriages represented here in this room today. <coughs> and those that are in the future, might the young men and women here today understand the depth of, of marriage and the meaning of it and what you desire it to look like and the commitment involved. We thank you and uh, we just praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.